and welcome back to another episode of The Sporting Spirit. Once again this week, I'm joined here with my co-host, Carl, who has a huge, huge issue to talk about, which has taken place stateside. Yeah, first, uh, thank you for having me back. And I would even call it a historical moment of what happened earlier in, in the U.S. where the Milwaukee Bucks decided to boycott their playoff game versus Orlando Magic, which led to the NBA postponing their playoffs, which then rippled over to different sports. Sure. But where has this all stemmed from? So it all started with, there was this uh, another police shooting of a, of, of a black man in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, which is a city just situated just outside Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I think it hit home for the Milwaukee Bucks players, uh, the proximity there. Absolutely. Um, apart from the Milwaukee Bucks, who are a huge franchise in the NBA, one of the favorites, I believe, right, in playoffs yeah, as yeah. well. Um, what are some of the other sports organizations or franchises that have taken, you know, action? Well, there's so many, so I can't even, like, you know, list all of them. But I think the first team right after that was the Milwaukee Brewers. Mm-hmm. That is the baseball team from Milwaukee decided mm-hmm. to postpone their game. Another big franchise is the LA Dodgers, uh, probably one of the biggest uh, teams in, in the world yeah, yeah. Uh, as, a, as, as a brand. But then there's also ripped over to the NHL, taking a management decision to postpone their games. Sure, it was after some criticism from media because they had been lackluster in their communication. But then you had Naomi Osaka, one mm-hmm. of the most uh, famous tennis players that decided to boycott her game, led to the postponement of the Cincinnati Open. Absolutely. And you mentioned Naomi Osaka there, one of the the leading lights, I think, in, in tennis or the bright, the biggest stars. But she's very young, of course, and, and we talk about these boycotts, but we, we, I think, regularly forget to mention the fact that it's being led by the new generation, a young group of players. Yeah, it's... Uh, sure, you have LeBron James, you have Chris Paul, that are more of the older generation that uh, represented, but you also have these young guys like Jalen Brown from Boston Celtics, being very vocal about the situation and he even stated like I want to be on the streets protesting at the moment uh, you have Giannis uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks 25 he's not even from America from Greece and but he still emerged himself into the community in Milwaukee and you want to improve it and have change and you have Fred Van Fleet from Toronto Raptors as well etc there's so many young I can't even like name all of them that's just some of them but yeah it's very encouraging to see the young generation is taking uh, charge and taking responsibility. Uh, Absolutely, I think it bodes well for the future, for sure. Um, to see the direction in which you know these, these athletes, um, these superstars of their in of their respective sports uh, are taking, and, and I think another thing which you would like to highlight is the fact that four years ago, Cal- Colin Kaepernick um, knelt down for the first time, and and and. And That's a particularly and it was moment. even on the same date, yeah. same date. So the twenty sixth of August, twenty twenty, Milwaukee Bucks boycotted. Twenty sixth of August, twenty sixteen was the first day Kaepernick uh, protested. Down, for yeah. me, it's just like you know, it's it's, it is, it's it like mind blowing. That's yeah. like like exact date for years. Absolutely, and I think others might write it off as like a coincidence, but I think there's a there's there's a bigger significance to that. Yeah. I think one man's kneeling has become or has evolved into yeah. this huge movement yeah. which in many ways is even globalized yeah exactly and beyond stateside and now sure like it was a powerful statement this boycott and I really like that now the question is 
where do do we go from now? Because mm. sure, it's not gonna change anything this boycott now, but at least it's gonna give attention. If they have momentum, but now how are we gonna instill real change? Like, so where do we go from now? That's the most important part now. Absolutely, and that's the, I think that's the most exciting thing about this movement, and to see where it goes and where it, how it takes form, and and eventually what, you know, it it, it produces in terms of actual concrete tangible change in people's lives um, all over the world um, and as much as we'd love to talk to you about this issue um, which we have done in the last two episodes mm. uh, it is a huge issue but we're not a podcast of singular themes of yeah, course um, exactly. we try and diversify our guests and our topics and so this week we move into the realm of sports and the environment and so today on our show we have for you one of the leading lights um, in the sustainability within sport movement if you like um she's a sport ecologist by trade and i'm sure a few of you are already scratching your heads over the term sport ecology and you're not the only ones to be fair i mean myself and carla spent quite a while in in sport sort of the academic world of sport and um you know we've we've both studied um subjects through physiology and biomechanics and um nutrition and from the management side, things like policy and governance. But to be honest, sustainability in the environment has never really been part of that range of core subjects. So we're absolutely delighted um, today to have for you a guest that is, as I said before, an expert within the field of sport ecology um, and who will shed some light on the reciprocal relationship that sport and the environment has for for centuries now and perhaps furthermore the impact that mega sports events have had on on the environment and because there's been a lot of sort of doom and gloom commentary around this subject i feel that our guest today brings with her a very optimistic tone one which is positive to the future and one which certainly looks forward to a to a green new deal in sport Madeline Orr is the founder and co-director of the Sport Ecology Group, a non-profit organization that takes the growing body of sports, sustainability, academic studies, and translates them into a language that practitioners can digest. You can find all that information on their website, sportecology.org. Besides that, Maddie is also an assistant professor of sport management at Sunny Cortland in New York, where she studies the impacts of climate change on the sports sector, with a specific focus on vulnerability and resilience research. In her spare time, Madeline is also the board member for Eco Athletes, Think Ocean, and also holds a regional seat representing Canada and the Caribbean with the Commonwealth Youth Sport for Development and Peace Network. Maddie, welcome on to the Sporting Spirit. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, we're absolutely looking forward to it. Um, it's our first environmental based or sustainability based um, interview or expert on on the podcast. So we're really, really looking forward to really bombard you with questions if you, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first and foremost, um, Maddie, in this in this age where we read a lot on the newspaper and listen, you know, on on, on television or the or radio or whatever, of of the term climate crisis, we'd like first of all to perhaps um, introduce this term 
um, because we hear it so often. So in your opinion, mm-hmm. Manny, what, what is the climate crisis or the so-called climate emergency? Sure. So essentially what's been happening for a very long time, like since the beginning of time, the climate has minor fluctuations, and that's due to a number of natural processes that happen. Um, but what's been happening since the Industrial Revolution that started in Britain and then since kind of has spanned the world is human activity is emitting what's called greenhouse gases. And those kind of, they get released into the atmosphere and they act as what's like mini embers uh, floating in the atmosphere, like embers mm-hmm. in a fire um, that don't go out. They just are very hot and they are min- minuscule, but they emit enough heat. What happens is, is they don't they don't die. So when you emit enough of them, you heat the air, the atmosphere above us. And what started to happen uh, over the last 30, 40 years is, is we're emitting enough of them that it's having a significant impact on the overall climate of our planet and the global mean temperature. Um, and so when that happens, you start to see a series of consequences. So you'll start to see the um, polar caps melting. And when that happens, you get a huge release of fresh water into near the Arctic and near um, the South Pole, the Antarctic, uh, and that can rise, cause sea levels to rise. You also start getting seasons that start to fluctuate. So winter may not come uh, quite as early as it used to. It might, you know, the fall season might stretch mm-hmm. a little bit longer. The, the summer might come too early. Um, you get heat waves in the summer. And, and when that happens, really what a heat wave is, is when it doesn't get cool in the evening. So typically in the summer, it's very hot all day, but in the evening it cools off a bit. And in a heat wave, that doesn't happen. And so there's no relief. Um, and there, there's a series of consequences that come with this. And so the more we emit these little embers of greenhouse gases into the air, the warmer the overall temperature gets and the worse these consequences are going to be. And that's overall what climate change is. That, that's, that's a very, I think a very brief, but yet um, yeah, succinct um, answer there. I think, and hopefully our listeners got, got, got to grips with that because I think it was, yeah. we, we could understand it a bit better now. Um, but I think the overriding question is, um, you talk about the polar ice caps melting and, and, and levels of pollution increasing in this, in this mm-hmm. age we live in, but what, what has sport got to do with all of this? since after all, we are all working in the sport industry, um, if you like. Yeah, you know what I think, so sport has a couple different uh, influences on the environment and also relies on the environment. So if you think about the origins of most sports, if you think yeah. about hockey, if you think about skiing, if you think about golf, um, really what we're talking about is people being outdoors playing. And when those environments change, that opportunity to play is compromised. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of goes across the board. So if you have cricket players, professional cricket players have started to experience extraordinary heat and their uniforms, as much as we have, you know, slick materials now, those uniforms really aren't going to do much when the heat is unbearable. Sure. Um, and the same goes for tennis in Australia. The Australian Open has been way too hot for the last few years. Uh, you know, we're starting to see it with sailors. Um, you know, they're sailing through debris in the ocean and that's that can cause all kinds of problems. So Sport is influenced by its environment, and and so there's a reason that we need to pay attention to this. But on the flip side, sport events and sport activities have an impact, right? We Mm -hmm. contribute to those greenhouse gas emissions that are released and that contribute to the problem. And so from kind of both angles, we really do have to pay attention to this. And I, I think that because sport is so popular and because people seem to care very deeply about it, this could be an opportunity to start a conversation with people about climate change when otherwise 
it, it can be tough to have that conversation, especially in places where people's livelihoods might depend on emitting behaviors, um, people's jobs might be in, in emitting, you know, organizations that emit a lot. And so it's really hard for them to kind of have an opinion on this, but mm -hmm. they do. And I think at the end of the day, sport fans um, and parents who have their kids in sport, actually just parents in general, I think if you gave any parent the choice between having their kid grow up with clean water, fresh air in a nice environment, or smog, pollution, asthma, bad health, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. they're going to choose the first one. And sure. so you know, the environment shouldn't be political. And I think sport can kind of bring that clarity to the problem. Yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, we have seen that the sports sector have taken steps to become more sustainable and thinking about the environment. But you mentioned also that sustain sustainability in the sports sector, it's kind of like similar to like a talented young rookie with bags of potential, but not much delivery. Mm -hmm. Can you just a little bit expand on this, uh, this notion? Yeah, I, you know, I wrote that piece last, I want to say last October. And when I was thinking about it, what was going through my head is that the green sports movement, so the people in the industry who've really been thinking about this and working very hard at it, have been at it for about 10 years, um, some a little longer, but about 10 years. And we have so much opportunity in sport to do good by the environment, to do well. Um, and sometimes there's perceptions that doing something that's environmentally sustainable is going to be really expensive or doing the right thing is going to cost us fans or it's going to piss somebody off. The reality is it doesn't do any of those things. It might cost a little bit of money up front, but in the end it'll make you money. It'll save you money. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to cost you fans, but it might bring people to the table who may not have been there before. And so I think what I meant by that comment is that, there is so much potential in sport to change the world, right? Nelson Mandela had big visions for this. Um, I don't know that we're leveraging it to the, the potential, the full potential of the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just to follow on that point, and by that, you mean that once again, the powers that be in, in sport are resorting to what you call actually token sustainability initiatives. Is that, is that what you mean by that? And, and what Yeah, so... Yeah. So what happens is that you tend to get, I mean, sustainability overall is a very broad concept and it can be very challenging for people, especially in the sport world who like our industry has the best, some of the best marketing minds in the world, right? Our industry has some of the best coaching staff, the best psychologists. Um, we don't have the best environmental thinkers all the time. Mm -hmm. And and that's not anyone's fault. Most, I know you are in a sports program. I'm sure you're not having to learn environmental science as part of your program. That's just mm -hmm. how it goes. Yeah, sure. So Right. So it's hard to ask people to do something that's so beyond the normal scope of their job and then to expect it from them. So I think that there's a learning gap there. Um, and so what happens is that instead of trying to take on the whole thing, organizations take on one little piece. Right. And so yeah. they'll say, OK, we're going to do recycling, which is awesome. Or we're going to do LED lighting, which is great. Um, and we need those things to happen. The issue is that's one step on a ladder that goes very, very far. And often what happens is these organizations take that first step, they get onto the ladder of sustainability, and then they don't keep going because they don't know what to do, or they don't know how to do it, or they don't have the resources to get it done, or they think that those things are true, even if, mm -hmm. you know, we can point out that you do have the resources to do this, or you, you could do this quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a bunch of challenges there, but yeah, typically, you know, they'll get that first task done that, you know, let's recycle or let's do that first thing and then they don't keep going. Yeah. But 
can it also be that this uh, token sustainability initiatives might even like take away the focus on the on the real issues that are like oh yeah we're doing something let's say like they yeah. do, do recycling but then at the same time they are flying uh, two games all over the place absolutely uh, so it's kind of like oh yeah we're doing something so we're doing good so don't uh, talk about us flying all over the place so yeah so that's called greenwashing right yeah. and that's when you get an organization that overstates the impacts of its environmental efforts or that uses them as a mechanism for kind of hiding other things yeah, um, yeah. behind the curtain. And I think that what happens in sport often is you have brilliant, again, like I said, you got some of the best marketers in the world, right? These mm -hmm. people are masterminds at finding the best way to spin something. And so if you have a small initiative, I think any initiative is good. I think every single one deserves attention. Yeah. But if you have a small initiative, it's likely because the, you have, you know, very limited knowledge in environment and very big knowledge on marketing that it's going to be promoted as something bigger than it is. Yeah. Um, and those same people have the job of making sure that you're not asking questions about their flight patterns or about how many cars are parked on their site or how much pesticide is used in, in their, you know, turf or whatever else is going on. And so there's a vested interest in making themselves appear good to the public I, in my opinion, I think I don't care if you're going to use sustainability to look good to the public. I don't really care why you do it. I just care that you do it at all. Mm. Um, and I think that it's our job as people in academia. And I think it's your job as journalists, as podcasters, um, to hold their feet to the fire and say, that's awesome. Congratulations. Really exciting to hear about that. What's your next move? And I think that that's the question that is missing. So our question, our next question, Maddie, is to do with um, event legacy planning. Um, it's a big part of sustainability in all areas, really, um, to do with, you know, obviously, events. But for sport, it's particularly important, obviously, because the scale and the, just the, the, the amount of people that, that sort of flock to these events. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that the slogan, durability is sustainability, has to be kept in mind when we think about a legacy plan. Um, and it's you know, very straightforward, the longer something lasts at a good quality, and the more use it can get, the more sustainable it is overall, right? So what you don't want to have is what they call white elephants, these big uh, facilities that go empty, mm -hmm. or that don't get used. And that happens when uh, the organizers don't put money aside for the long term upkeep and maintenance and management of the space. Um, I think with sustainability from an environmental standpoint, one of the things that has to be taken into consideration is what kind of maintenance is going to be needed long term to keep something active and whether that's even possible. So with winter sport events, for example, with the Olympics, um, you know, these events are limited in where they can go to be hosted just by virtue of the weather. And when you build a facility that the weather is fine right now, but five, six years down the road, who knows if winter is going to be a thing, Sochi, um, <laughs> you, you have to start thinking about whether, you know, you can, you can make a plan all you want to have a bobsled run open for 20 years, but yeah. if that's not going to be climatically possible, then you need to rethink your strategy. And I, and I think that that's going to be true um, for Beijing. Certainly it's true for Vancouver. Um, and you know the options are getting fewer and for fewer and further between for viable hosting venues. Uh, with summer events, if you look at the FIFA World Cup, uh, you know one of the more popular events in the world, 
it's currently uh, going up. It's about to go up in a year and a half, I guess now. Just over, actually, no, two years. Just over two years in yeah, Qatar. Sure. And they had some brilliant ideas from the get-go for turning the, the facilities afterwards so that their current food desert becomes viable for kind of small-scale agriculture, mm-hmm. um, which would have been a brilliant opportunity to use that space. That proposal got shut down. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, these facilities are being built, I think seven or eight of them. And for the most part, I expect they'll go unused, or certain parts of the facility will be decomposed or deconstructed into components that will be put into schools or whatnot. Um, but, you know, with that situation, you are going to probably have at least one white elephant and probably a lot of different pieces that get scattered in the debris afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to just think about what's going to happen down the line. And I really think that if you're, if you are intent on hosting a large sporting event, you just have to keep in mind that durability is sustainability. And if it's going to make sense 20 years from now, great. And if it's not, not great. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of segues into the next question, a little bit, maybe a provocative question, but we see here with these mega sport events, they're like growing in size, like, uh, more sports are getting added. More teams are getting added into like the World Cup and the yeah. Olympics and more sports. Mm-hmm. So they're growing and growing. So like, can mega sport events as they are today even exist? Uh, with no. Current climate change. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. I, <laughs> no. I think. I mean, look, we're learning a lot from coronavirus, right? We are learning that these events can happen without people in the stands. Yeah. It's not as fun, but yeah. it can happen. I think if we're looking at a future where we have to reduce air travel, where we really have to consider the long time use of facilities, then building facilities that are that big, that only get used fully once Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. It also is a really hard sell to tell me that you're going to bring millions of extra tourists in for Mm -hmm. a very short period of time. Um, Just because it's very hard on the infrastructure in the city. And one of two things happens. It either overwhelms the existing infrastructure or the city prepares for that and builds tons of new infrastructure that never again gets used to full capacity, right? And neither one of those solutions is quite right with me. And so I don't think it's viable that we continue to have these elaborate mega spectacles. Mm -hmm. I think what will happen is subtle changes so that either the facilities are smaller, the number of fans in the stands is mostly local fans and maybe the friends and family of the athletes. Um, and, and what you have then is a facility that has a long-term use because a facility of that size can get used over and over again, right? Um, so I, I think there's going to be some changes. I, I'm hoping, the big thing that I'm really hoping for is that schedules will change. So, you know, we've started to relax the schedule with FIFA a little bit. We've moved it for Qatar. I think um, that's going to have to continue in order for the southern half of the world to be viable as options for, for example, the Winter Olympics, right? Like mm-hmm. we are almost exhausted of the options in the north, but Argentina, Chile, that might be a really good option, but they're on an opposite schedule um, in terms of their seasons. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so I think that the scheduling is going to have to start being reconsidered in order to open up new options for space in the first place. Yeah. Just to go off on that like so we've seen now like with the nba they have this virtual fans uh, i feel like it's 
it looks pretty cool actually but do you it's think hilarious this, yeah <laughs> do you think this might become more common in this in the sports world to have this virtual fandom uh, in the stands yeah you know so um adam silver who's the commissioner of the nba at the beginning yeah. of coronavirus reminded people that in total only about five percent of nba fans actually watch nba games in the state in the facility itself right mm -hmm. a huge percentage of people don't have that option either because it's too expensive or because they don't actually live in the city where their team is playing yeah. or they have kids they have to watch whatever so if most people are already watching on tv or online i think that improving that experience for the people watching away from the facility mm. and that's what's happening right now is we're creating ways to be more engaged with the person watching from their couch at home or from that bar stool mm. i think that will be a welcome change mm. um, for a lot of fans for 95 percent of them who never actually go in person yeah. or rarely do and i think is it perfect right now no but like neither was the nba period when it started and it took a long time to build right so if we can do that much in six months of prep i think that the creativity and the innovation that's going to go into improving the experience for fans at home in the next few years is going to be extraordinary and i really look forward to seeing what people do with that what the teams come up with yeah no, no talking about a bright and sort of a green future for sport um maddie i think We'll move slightly on towards um, slightly muddy waters now to politics um, because at the end of the day, our, our podcast tries to sort of debunk the myth that sport can't mix with politics because obviously when it comes to the environment, it certainly does where decisions are taken. Yeah. Um, and, and my question to you and probably to a lot of green new dealers would be what, what mm -hmm. role can sport play? What sort of impact can that have in a potential sort of green new deal? Not just in the United States, but all across um, the world even. Yeah, you know, I think the reality is, and people are kind of coming to grips with this more and more, there are a number of jobs that have been lost in, in warehouses and in manufacturing across industrialized countries in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that's very scary, right? It's very, very scary to lose your job. It's very scary to have a community of people who are jobless, um, especially when it used to revolve around a mine mm -hmm. or whatnot, and people have been trained to do that. So it can be very scary. I think the notion that things are going to change is inevitable. And so governments finding ways to shift everybody into opportunities to build new skills, learn new things, take on a job that is going to be sustainable in the long run um, is something that has to happen. And that's, I think, what the Green New Bill really is proposing is let's kind of pull everybody along with us on this journey. I think it's inevitable. I think what's going to be different is how much we put up a fight to that inevitability and how much we try to hang on to past lives that may not be realistic anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think what sport can do is, is push the envelope, right? sport expects every year that the athletes are going to play better than they did before. We don't play basketball now the same way that people played basketball in the 1960s. It's very different. And I think that sport has an opportunity to use some of those narratives of we are constantly in a state of improvement. We are constantly in a state of seeking better. Um, we can use those narratives to help people understand what's happening and move them along. I also think that the more sport organizations get on board with green energy, with uh, you know water restoration, with um, biodiversity efforts, the more they promote those as valuable, uh, the more people will get on board, right? We know that sports have a platform and the more we can use it, the better. So I think 
you know, as much as like people like to say sports isn't political, there's never been a time when sports was not political and not doing anything is an action. And I think we have to remember that too. Um, and especially now, I know in North America, the WNBA, the w, uh, NWSL, uh, MLB, they're all doing various forms of activism on a number of concerns that are important to them. I think increasingly you're going to see climate work into that. Yeah, absolutely. And also because we, we see from, from the public, like the demand is there as well. Like I would say like a lot of people demand the teams to be more yeah. uh, concerned about the environment, but to be more environmental friendly. So to say sure. that clubs are like, oh, it's a big risk. It's mm -hmm. sure it could be a good marketing tool as well. Because of this sort of wave of public goodwill that hasn't perhaps been always there. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think that if you think about how much people identify with their favorite athlete or their favorite team, right? Um, they identify more with athletes and teams in general, not everybody, but in general, people affiliate more strongly with sport than they affiliate with their local political representative, Yeah. right? No one's turning around and be like, that's my member of parliament. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, so if we can have those people become credible spokesmen and women, mm. uh, that's a huge step forward. And there's a number of organizations that are doing that and I'll shout them out really quick, but yeah. eco athletes, players for the planet, there's a number of them doing really good work. And I think the more that becomes the forefront, the better for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've talked a lot about, you know, um, in the previous half an hour or so about sort of the, stuff like, you know, greenwashing and, you know, sort of negative sort of side almost, you know, of, of, of these initiatives. But what, mm -hmm. in your opinion, what has been a climate action related initiative by, by a sports team or organization that you have particularly been impressed about? Uh, oh gosh, there's a few. I put you in the spot um, there, sorry. But... There are... <laughs> no, that's okay. I love that question. I think that, you know, just in general, what's missing in climate conversations and environmental sustainability conversations is the happily ever after story. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what it looks like when you get it right. And here's yeah. how great it's going to be when your kid breathes good air, right? Like, mm -hmm. why aren't we talking about that? Because people love a happily ever after yeah. story. Um, we have a few in sport, few and far between, but we've got a few. The new uh, headquarters for the IOC just okay. got certified at the highest standard for sustainability. I think that's a really important leadership move for the IOC to say, we're cleaning up our house and we expect you to do the same. Absolutely. Um, so they've got, you know, very beautiful, if you look at the pictures, stunning architecture based on old principles of using wood and natural light, like very, I mean, it's back to basics, but it's stunning. Um, I think that that kind of innovation of back to basics, back to what really works, and we know it does, and it's durable, and again, durability is sustainability. Whatever people are doing that, I'm nodding along thinking that's a good thing. Um, the Forest Green Rovers in the UK yeah. have proposed and are building a brand new stadium on those same principles. Um, they are going for uh, carbon neutrality. Again, that's awesome. Um, there are organizations in the US that uh, there's like a NASCAR track, I think in New Jersey, um, that has planted or put up a whole solar field on the property adjacent to where they are and then figured out that it's really hard to mow the lawn if you've got a bunch of solar panels there. And so they got a whole bunch of goats who come and graze the lawn and that's how they Amazing. take care of that property. Amazing. And then they use the compost from the facility to help create right. food for goats. Like it's like a whole process, right? So mm -hmm. um, we're getting there. You know, we're getting there. There's some organizations that are really at the forefront of this. Our cup uh, has been doing a lot of good work in getting plastics out of yeah. stadiums in 
the in Europe and North America. Um, Looped Works is based in the Pacific Northwest, and they are taking old uh, jerseys and materials that the athletes actually wear and use, and they're creating backpacks and equipment for kids and all kinds of cool stuff. So I think that we're starting to see the bright lights. We're starting to mm -hmm. see the happily ever after story. I'm really hoping that others kind of pick up on that and mm -hmm. recognize that, you know, from a PR standpoint, recycling is not going to get you that PR boost that you're looking for, mm -hmm. but those extra steps you can take that will give you that PR boost. And that's yeah. good for you too. Yeah. So good for the planet. Good for the team. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, that's, yeah. just a follow up there because, uh, you say it's like a PR boost, but like what responsibility to the media have to like highlight these initiatives? Because sometimes I feel like media is focusing a lot on the negatives and don't really show up. Like there's actually a lot of good in initiatives out there because mm -hmm. then sure they, they will mm -hmm. show that this is possible to do. And it can also put the pressure on the organizations that are not doing their part in the deal. So can you? Yeah. I mean, look, the, me the media has a huge role to play. Always, 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 yeah. right? And I think um, I am actually just finished a study with a graduate of your school, actually, Anne-Marie Muhlbauer. She is a swimmer. Um, she was my master's student. We did a project looking at all the news coverage of sustainability initiatives in the last few years. Mm -hmm. If you consider how many media outlets there are that focus exclusively on sport, how many newspapers have a sports section, mm -hmm. um, there were only 517 stories focused on sustainability and sport in the whole world yeah. in English over several years. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is nowhere near no, what no. we would hope for it to be. So, and there's a few things that catch a lot of attention. If an athlete does something cool that catches way more attention than an organization. And that's again, a testament to just the platform that they have. Right. So when Serena Williams and Roger Federer said, we're donating to the wildfire reliefs, because we are here in Australia and we're seeing how bad it is at the Australian Open, um, that, caught, that caught wind and there was a lot of media coverage for that. Um, there was a, a swimmer, a British swimmer who swam in the Arctic to demonstrate that like this should be ice but I'm swimming. Yeah. Um, that caught about 50 articles of coverage, right? So we're not seeing enough. I think part of it is organizations are trying to just promote their team and sometimes promote, I think, they're not used to that marketing team is not used to promoting that stuff. Yeah. So, so the more they get used to it, the better they'll be. Right. And I think that they're getting that experience now with black lives matter. And I'm hoping that they will apply all that skill set that's coming out of how to promote activism and good work and then put it right into climate when their team comes up with something now. Absolutely. No, I think, and I think your message seems to be clear and loudly. Um, to these organizations, to these powers that be, to be to be on the front foot, to be brave enough, and to take inspiration from what has been done, and to sort of you know look forward to a future which could be a lot greener with mm -hmm. some very quick wins, even because I think the things that you yeah. mentioned in this in this in this podcast are not like completely complex or you know super um, you know sort of <laughs> rocket science sciencey things. They're really yeah. quick wins, and yeah, yeah, and and it's what the fans want. Right. Yeah, like yeah. if you look at the prevailing opinion in Germany, in the UK, in France, basically all across Europe, mm -hmm. um, in, in the US even, which it, there's a perception that it's very polarized, but upwards of 80 percent both believe in climate change and agree we should do something about it. That's a huge number. So, and it's higher among young people. So if you want to continue to have fans, mm -hmm. this is something that you're going to want to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I, it's not, it doesn't have to be hard, right? And there are tons of resources out there to help organizations get it done. It's just a case of helping managers, I think, understand the importance of it, see the value, and then give them the skills and resources they need to get it done. Absolutely. No, and, and, and on that note, I think, yeah, we've sort of ended um, the serious part of discussion. I think it's been yeah. really, really inspiring. Yeah. Really thought-provoking as well, I think, for the listeners. I think talking about um, sport and environment in, in the same sort of sentence often doesn't really, you know, doesn't really, people don't really get it. You know, what has it got to do with it? Yeah. I hope, I hope yeah. they sort of cleared. Story uh, of my uh, life. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and no, but just, just to finish off, we like to finish off with a, a fun question. After all, we sure. are all sport enthusiasts. And, yeah. and so the question for you is, and I'm, which I'm sure you've, you've had on many occasions is, um, how, how did you first sort of fall in love with sport? And, and, and which sport was that? Oh, shoot. Um, so I was involved in sport as a kid. I played a couple of different sports. I really enjoyed them. I didn't, I don't know that I loved sport. Like I've never actually really been a big sport fan to okay. be completely honest. Mm -hmm. I am enamored with the industry for its platform and what mm -hmm. it does to bring people together in the same way that like people will study religion, not because they're religious, but because they think it's so cool that people come together around something. Mm -hmm. um, I think I really fell in love with the potential for having the, having a climate conversation through sport when I worked in the French Alps on a gap year, okay. um, I worked in the ski industry and we had a totally green Christmas. And so, you know, you look around and morale is low, the restaurants are closing their doors. Um, people are very uh, concerned about their future because their whole economy really is based on tourism in that part of the country. And so when people aren't coming because there's no snow, that's a huge problem. And I think that's when I started connecting the dots between you know, sport is something that people are passionate about. It's something really fun. I think it's cool to be able to be the person that connects the fun thing to the scary thing mm. and says like, this can fix, they, these can fix each other. Um, but I also recognized that like sport doesn't exist in a bubble. And that's when I started to put the pieces together of, oh, okay, like sport is connected to tourism. It's connected to food. It's connected to infrastructure. It's connected to city planning. It's connected to emergency response. I mean, how many facilities were used? And I'm writing research on this right now during Corona as emergency hospitals, right? Like mm -hmm. sports facilities are at the center of a number of, of resource distribution efforts. Um, and, and I think that it helped me to understand that sport isn't just about fanatic fans. It's mm. also about community. It's about resources. It's about planning. Um, and, and that really got me hyped. So the super nerdy answer. No, that's, that's a very refreshing <laughs> one. Uh, you yeah. could have just said, um, I don't know, the Yankees or something, but yeah. that's, that's much better. Um, no, that's it's, yeah. it's kind of, like, <laughs> kind of summarized like the concept of our podcast Absolutely. as well, that the sport is part of society. Mm. Like, so sport is not yeah. separated it's part Absolutely. of society what's happening in society is also happening in sport yeah, and the idea that you can live sport yeah. not because of a team or an individual but for, for what what it, or how it brings people together yeah yeah those people in the stands they go home afterwards and then what right <laughs> yeah. you know that kid playing soccer has to go home afterwards and then what so I, yeah these things are all connected yeah Thanks very much, Maddie, again for yeah. um, for taking your time out. Um, um, and I, I don't know how you you get time just looking at sort of um, the sort of the, the work <laughs> that you do. Um, so it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on yeah. on the show, and you're always welcome back. Yeah, um, thank you. If our listeners out there, once again, if you're interested, um, check out sportecology.org. Um, a lot of very very 
interesting pieces of research done there. Um, all in very sort of um, read, also very readable formats. It's not particularly, you know, it's not mm-hmm. complex again, yeah. language, but yeah. so I really hope, yeah, people check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much. much. This is a lot of fun. So that was our interview with Madeline Orr from Sports Ecology Group. And what is your take on this interview, John? I think, you know, to begin with, as I mentioned earlier, sport ecology is not a term that I think is easily understood. Um, I ha- I personally had loads of, you know, I had my loads of preconceptions about it and of what it was. But if, if essentially, I think Madeline broke it down into, you know, basically what sport the impact sport has on the environment i think she gave a lot of examples regarding that but i think the biggest thing that i took away from it was the fact that sport relies on the environment and that's a very stupid thing to say because obviously it does you know without Mm. ice you can't skate without water you can't swim you know without clean air you can't run um but it's something which i think is easily overlooked the significance of you know uh the environment yeah, because you, sometimes you forget about that because you think about like all the, just the harm mm-hmm. that sport does to the environment yeah. and you don't actually think about the edit, what harm sports is doing to itself. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, for example, with the uh, things you mentioned at the Australian Open uh, where athletes had complained and were struggling with breathing uh, because of the heat and uh, the, the bushfires that was going on. Absolutely, and that's also not a one-time thing either. It's happened before, I think, at marathon, marathon events um, where you know, runners have complained about the levels of pollution, pollution and you know huge outcries of why in the first place it's being hosted in country in countries or cities where there's crazy levels of pollution. Um, but no, apart from that, also I li- I really liked um, Madeline's sort of positive and optimistic tone when it came to when we ask her questions, you know, on whether or not sport could exist um, in in the face of a, a climate emergency, and I like how she said that. Only small adaptations or small effort could sort of, you know, aid the big issue of, you know, the climate crisis. Yeah. And the fact that she was saying that it doesn't have to be this huge, expensive campaign. It's just the small things that the clubs or teams or organizations do that, that really contribute to this effort. Yeah. First of all, like, yeah, I thought it was refreshing with her positive attitude. And uh, as she said, like, it's better to do something than nothing. Like just easy wins. Like if you don't have the resources, at least just like do recycling or whatever. But as you mentioned as well, if you want that PR bo- boost, if you want to differentiate yourself from other clubs, you need to yeah go a step further uh, to get that PR. Absolutely, and, and it's and it's pushing the movement forward. Yeah, and, and and beyond that, she's talking about the fact that if you want to differentiate yourself, or if you want to actually make a big statement in sport when it comes to supporting. Um, green sustainability efforts then you've got to have the best minds and talent within that field in sport uh, why is it that sport has the best physios the best scientists you know the best technology when mm-hmm. it comes to aiding the flow the dynamics of a game but it hasn't got the most fundamental scientists when it comes to enabling sport to be continued for generations yeah. that's for me absolutely mind-blowing no. because without these scientists then they won't be sport Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely something they should should invest in, uh, because as we mentioned, they already have like the best sort of team in other aspects. They have the best PR people, have the best marketing. So to push out their idea, 
that's will be fine. It's just coming up with this uh, the data and then the, what is actually the most beneficial way to go about it, and then the PR can just push that. Absolutely, and I think this issue is what will define sport in the future for for mm. all of us um, listening today. I think it's uh, it's a it's a very pertinent topic because it affects everything from the way we we watch sport, the way we play sport, you know, and yeah, know, like as, a, like sports needs to evolve it needs to develop it needs mm. to move forward we can't if we just gonna keep on doing what we're doing at the moment it's not gonna be able to survive absolutely and so yeah we hope you enjoyed the, the episode once more um for us it was once again a huge pleasure to, to interview such a, a well-versed figure within within a niche topic if you like but a very important topic and yeah i mean once again you know we've we've got a lot of platforms out there at the moment um yeah that you know where you can find updates and things and yeah please please do follow us on on those social media platforms if you've got any questions please feel free to message us any concerns any ideas any fresh ideas yeah exactly we we're open for suggestions uh, of what kind of topics they people want to listen to absolutely and yeah i guess that's a wrap once more for the sporting spirit this week yeah peace and love yeah love and peace Thank you.